You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host as always. Guys, having been a public holiday this week and you've got me and myself for this episode, we're doing a Q&A like we've done before. We've pulled together all the questions that have been piling up in our perthpropertyshow.com.au inbox and essentially the ones that have been asked the most, we're answering today. So we'll get straight into it. A variety of questions here from buying to building to interest rates, global events, and I look forward to addressing those. If you have any questions yourself, you want to get on the next Q&A session, send them through. You can either send them through to inquiries at strategicpropertygroup.com.au, through the contact page at perthpropertyshow.com.au, or through inquiries at perthpropertyshow.com.au. First question, first off the rank is Mark. Mark has asked, my build has been sitting dormant for weeks. What is going on? What can I do? Look, Mark, there are a lot of people in your boat at the moment. Myself as a developer, I've got a couple of developments that are in the middle of the build stage right now and they are probably, I'd say, 60 to 90 days behind schedule because of delays over that pre-Christmas period especially and now coming through, there's a few more delays with regards to really just the availability of supply of things like timber and steel. It's so basic, but with our supply lines cut off at the moment, there's global shortages for construction timber especially that is holding up an ability for for example a bricklayer to go in and finish off the first floor of a house because the chippy can't get in and put in a couple of door frames that's how simple it is at the moment and that's what is delaying a lot of builds if your build is further along the line then you're essentially waiting for that trade that tiler that painter that landscaper uh, the roof tiler whoever it is They've got a big back order and I can see that across a lot of our developments. It is the reality right now. Too much work, not enough people to do it. Luckily, since the borders opened about a week and a half ago, we will start to see some of those trades start to come through the system. But I believe it will be a little bit of time before that flows through and we really feel a benefit on that with regards to lead times. What can we do about it? Well, the reality is, and unfortunately, just like a lot of things in life, the squeaky wheel generally gets the oil. If you've got a bespoke builder who knows you personally, uh, stay in touch politely and respectfully with them as much as possible to make sure that we're on schedule and they're proactively not missing their own programming with regards to getting the next trades in, sleuthing out options for getting things moving because builders can be a little bit rigid with the way that they program their builds and not thinking outside the box if they're not pressured to do so. If you're working with a large project builder, it's a lot harder to do. So you're dealing with a client liaison or a site supervisor and it really comes down to how much your site supervisor, one, cares about your project or your build and two, has the contacts in the trade industry to do anything about any delays and look i really feel for site supervisors at the moment life is not easy for them Uh, they can't really book the next trade in until this one's done because you don't even know if this guy's going to get it done on time or start on time in the first place but once that next trade comes in you should be there so really just as a client as an owner you need to be putting a lot more weight yourself to make sure that that builder is being supported to keep his trades on track. Other than that, there's not a lot you can do contractually. The HIA contracts you deal with on a daily basis are very bent towards the builder. And unfortunately, that gives builders a lot more time than they need to be able to get uh, these builds finished without any level of penalty. So all of us are stuck in the same boat and we're all paying for it, unfortunately, Mark. Second question comes from Jesse. Jesse asks, 
I've lost 12 offers in a row trying to buy my first house. I've got pre-approval like you said, and I make quick offers as well. What is happening? Help me, please. Jesse, I feel for you, mate. You are not alone. I hear this all the time, especially young people, young couples looking to buy that first house who aren't too experienced on the process or can't demonstrate a level of confidence to a selling agent. What is really happening, if you've got your pre-approval, you are making quick offers, you aren't putting too many conditions on your offers, there's only one thing that's going on, Jesse, and you're getting beaten on price, unfortunately. And I'm seeing this all the time. Look, even we're getting beaten on price in the buyer's agent side at Strategic as well. There are a lot of East Coasters, especially, who look at our market who are not price sensitive and say, 600, 625, I really don't care. All of it's a lot lower than what I'd be paying in Sydney. They're going up and over and above. And the selling agents know that as well. So they know they can squeeze the Sydney guys and the Melbourne guys a lot more than us too. It'd be an easier job, quicker sale. Unfortunately, it's really just a case of persistence. It's a case of not trying to bag a bargain because you most likely won't. And it's a case of providing as much confidence as possible to the selling agent through first off demonstrating a pre-approval, second off not trying to negotiate too much on the price and really trying to negotiate on availability of how quickly you can get an offer in and how quickly you can get that offer presented to the seller. Further to that, get a buyer's agent. At the end of the day, in markets like this, we're not generally paid to find the bargain of the year. We're paid to secure property in a rising market in both an on-market and off-market situation where we've got a competitive advantage with regards to our relationships with selling agents to get things done a lot quicker and generally at a lower price because we're not competing with it. So uh, have a look at that option too. Next question comes in from Abdul. Abdul says, every time I try to do a feasibility on a development block in WA right now, it doesn't seem to be proving up a profit like it did a couple of years ago. Am I missing something? Abdul, you're not wrong. What's going on in the market right now in Perth is that in a flat market, in exchange for not being given essentially free passive growth from the market, we like to see a good strong profitability of between 15 and 20% on the project on a development site to be able to justify us purchasing a property in a market that doesn't demonstrate passive growth, if that makes sense. In a market that has passive growth running through it without having to lift a finger, the market becomes very efficient. All those inefficiencies we prey on in a flat market, they fall away and the efficiency comes out. Sellers recognize straight away they can get the best price by taking it to market. Sellers often will counter the offer now and they will squeeze you for every dollar you have. And they will double the amount of buyers that they were in 2019, three years ago. So you've got double the pressure and double the competition. It's very hard to find a bargain and make money when you buy, as I always say. But also the big critical factor here that's chronically skewing our market right now is the build cost. Generally, it's pretty hard to make a land development like a triplex or a duplex land development stack up in the first place. You're lucky to make 10% most of the time. But if we look at the development where we're building, in a market like this, for example, in 2014, where prices were very similar, a triplex at a medium spec might cost you $650,000. That triplex is now costing you $850,000. That difference of 200 grand, that's the profit you're missing, Abdul. And unfortunately, that's what's killing us right now. These borders that have been closed for the last two years, essentially, are what is skewing the supply of labor and the supply of materials that are making our builds that much more expensive, that extra 30, 40% on what it would have been in 2014. So what do we do? How do we move forward and not miss the market? Well, you have to make a conscious decision essentially to identify properties that demonstrate good fundamentals qualitatively 
They have good zoning. They're not going to be too expensive on site works. They're in good areas with regards to walk score, amenity, school zones. Uh, and it's at a fair or good price. Identify that property in a rising market, acquire it. And what most of my clients are doing these days is essentially sitting on it until such time that it does make sense financially to invest that extra money in the development. In the meantime, they'll be making money passively as we expect over the next at least year to year and a half in this market, tempered by interest rate rises in the future. So there is the upside there at the very least that we didn't have three years ago, for example. Uh, and when you look to manufacture that wealth, it will be made when you can identify it in a market. Two things will happen. One, the unit prices you were going to be selling for have increased each by, let's say, 10% each. And two, the build price will start to come down ever so slightly to balance that out. Until that situation, the only way you can move forward in property right now without sitting out of the market is fundamentally on a qualitative side, picking up that next development site and land banking it. Make sure you've got a good rental income coming through, low maintenance, and it's pretty much the best you can be doing right now. Not to say it's a bad outcome, to be honest, but sitting back and waiting for that unicorn to come in like it was three years ago is not going to happen for most people. Thanks, Abdul, for your question. Next one comes from Amanda. Amanda says, Trent, where are you focusing your personal investment goals right now? That's great. I've never had a, actually had anyone ask me that, and I'm happy to share it. My projects right now are diversified across a few strategies. They're all in Western Australia because I believe in investing in what you know and that you're a punter if, if you don't. But here it goes. Essentially, I have a, a quad development in the Western suburbs that's in the middle of development. I have a childcare center in the city of Stirling right now that's in the middle of development. And I've got two multi-hectare brownfield land developments that I've been able to identify in our existing suburbs south of the river in Perth that because of the risk I see inherently in construction right now, I've decided to focus on. Finally, we've got a luxury apartment development in the western suburbs going on as well. So as you can see, diversification of strategy not so much location in terms of state-based, but strategy is what I've focused on. I've kept it as luxurious and high value as possible, whilst also identifying opportunities without having to build to be able to diversify that. So I hope that helps. It's obviously a step away from the triplexes and the duplexes where most people will start. But I hope in terms of the ideology of where I'm going there, that helps get people's head around where I'm focusing my personal capital right now. Next question comes from Jamie. Jamie asks, I've noticed despite the impending train station, High Wycombe is still yet to pop. Would you agree? Yeah, really good one, Jamie. I agree. I've been calling High Wycombe and Forestfield since 2017 based on Metronet's train station implementation of what was the Forestfield train station is now the High Wycombe train station, quite rightly, because it's in High Wycombe. That's supposed to be finishing two years ago, last year end of this year. They've obviously had some issues with water ingress and, and I'm still a big believer in this suburb. High Wycombe as an amenity point for a lot of people working in the FIFO space would see this as a great location. It's quiet. It doesn't sit on the flight path. It's got good quality 80s houses, most of them. Minimal state housing, no fibre houses. Big fan of this area and I would recommend people having a look in this space. The only th drawback on this is a very tight and punitive town planning scheme from the city of Kalamunda, which I believe will be reviewed in the next year. But in the meantime, there is development potential in the suburb and I'm a, I'm a fan. So you can be picking up a seven, 800 square meter block with development potential for 500 grand at the moment. It used to be high threes and back in the boom, it was mid five sixes. So certainly some value there still. And there will be a train station coming in. I don't see why people wouldn't be taking this area quite seriously. 
Watch out for clay. Make sure you're doing a geotech report. But generally, the suburb's pretty good. Next question comes from Annalise. Annalise has asked, with rising interest rates, does that mean our serviceability will drop too? Awesome question. Really smart question. And the answer is yes. Your serviceability is based on an assessment rate. An assessment rate is essentially the interest rate that's advertised plus a buffer rate of about 3%. Now, let's say it's a 2.5% interest rate you're paying. You'll have a buffer rate of 3% that sits at 5.5%. Interest rates go up to 3.5%. Well, now you're being assessed at 6.5%. That difference between 55 and 6.5% has a big impact on your serviceability. How do we mitigate against that risk? Well, firstly, if you're looking to buy, buy now. And if you're looking to buy and buy to your maximum serviceability, I'll be buying earlier than later because as interest rates go up, you'll be given less serviceability, especially those people looking to buy a family home and very aspirationally trying to get into an area. If you leave it too long, you may not be able to get in based on that assessment rate. Secondly, also recognize that you may not even be affected by this. If you're looking to buy a house worth $700,000 and get a loan of $560,000 being an 80% loan to value ratio and you're making 200 grand a year, you're not going to be impacted by this because your serviceability will be at least a million dollars, all else being equal, no other debt in your portfolio. Recognize that it may not even be a risk to you. It's mainly a risk to people who are highly leveraged or buyers who have lower incomes who need every dollar they can in that serviceability space. Great question. Next question comes from Steve. Steve asks, do you believe the conflict in the Ukraine will have a negative impact on property prices in Perth? That's a really interesting one. What we've found generally is that Perth does very well when the rest of the world is on its knees. It's a sad thing to say, but it is the reality. Perth is the safe, boring uncle, if you put it that way. When the world's doing really well, everyone's having a great time, there's minimal risk. Everyone heads off to Sydney, Melbourne, they fly out to New York, London, they leave. Population moves away from Perth. Money falls away from Perth. The second things get a little bit tense around the world, people start moving and valuing safety again. They also value space, peace and quiet, all those things that Perth has. In, in addition to that, our industries, our economy really ramp up. We do well when the world's on its knees because most nations are nation building. They're in reinvesting in times of low interest rates and they do that with iron ore and gold, essentially. So a situation like this, Ukraine is an extension of global conflicts with regards to terrorism. It's an extension of a global financial crisis. It's an extension of COVID. It's more bad news for the rest of the world. What it means is more people are either putting their money in places like Perth instead or moving to Perth from Europe to get away from conflict, to get away from the negative news, to get away from the risk. More people, more money in Perth simply means higher prices. It's as simple as that. Last question comes from Jeremy. Jeremy asks, I want to build a family home. I know I missed the boat two years ago and didn't get the grants. What would you do? Should I wait or just get on with it? Jeremy, it's a tough one, really, because the reality is we know that if we're building a home right now, we're spending $500,000 where it would have been three eighty two years ago or three hundred where it would have been two twenty or a million where it would have been seven fifty. Unfortunately, that's just where it is. That's the reality. And we need to decide within ourselves two things. One, are we price sensitive? And two, do we believe that we'll ever see prices come down again? That price sensitive question is specific to you. If you just want to move on with a family home, you're not really financially driven, it's something that's more of a lifestyle outcome for you, then get on with it. I would say if you started that planning, drawing process now, you'd be looking to build sometime by the end of the year and most likely you'll see a lot less risk in the building industry for those 
builders who were around by that point in time. They would have gotten over most of the, the hump, you would call it. But if you're financially driven, I would suggest that it's probably worth starting those planning conversations now, starting the design conversation now, because builders, the front ends are actually a lot quieter than they were a year ago. They're looking for work, they're open to it, but probably still delaying the signing of contracts, the signing of quotations until closer to the end of the year. We have more trades available to start pulling trade prices down that builders can negotiate lower. More open and supply lines as well to start getting supply of materials a bit cheaper than they have been uh, and also builders who are a little bit hungrier than they are right now starting to consider their prices a little bit more rather than saying take it or leave it that's what i'd be doing i personally have aspirations myself to build a family home sitting on a property right now that i'm renting out i would suggest i'll probably still be waiting two to three years before i make that decision myself So yeah, personal decision, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, moving now is going to be probably the most expensive time you ever will be building for a period of time, in my opinion. Guys, I hope you all had a good listen along. If you, Again, if you're looking to ask any questions of the podcast, of myself especially, make sure you send them through either on Facebook, through the email, through the website. I'm sure you'll be able to find us. Have a great week. Next Monday, we'll be talking to Rash Danjal of the agency about Brabham, Dayton, Bennett Springs, and that whole area between Caversham and Ellenbrook. Look forward to that. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!